0: Good morning. Welcome to Triad baptist Church today. I'm glad that you're here. It is Christmas time. Are you guys getting ready? Are you guys in the Christmas spirit? It does not look like Christmas outside, but it certainly feels like it. Oh my goodness, it was so cold this morning, and I'm getting in the holiday spirit, and I hope that you are as well. If you're a parent of small children, you know you got one week left, right? This is it. We have one week of leverage. My kids will be the best behaved this week than any other week the rest of the year. But after that leverage is gone, after next Sunday comes and goes, um, I'm done as a parent. It's going to be the worst at my house. I can go ahead and guarantee you that. But I'm excited about Christmas. I know that you are as well. If you have a Bible, find your place this morning in Matthew chapter number 1. Matthew chapter 1 is where we will be today. Scott already mentioned it, but tonight is our candlelight service at 530 right here in this auditorium. Uh, We'll be doing candlelight. We'll be having communion. We won't be doing those at the same time, I don't think. We're going to ask you to hold the flame and do the communion at the same time. But if we do, that'd be interesting. You don't want to miss that either. But come tonight at 5 30 for that service. I know you'll enjoy it. And then uh, our schedule next Sunday, we will be having both services, just no Sunday school and no Sunday evening next week. Uh, I'm going to read a longer portion of Scripture today. And so, because of that, I'm going to have you remain seated, okay? Does that sound okay to you guys? Merry Christmas for me, instead of reading all of Matthew chapter 1 with you standing up. I want to start in verse number 1 and read down through verse 6, and then we're going to work our way through the chapter this morning. Matthew 1, beginning in verse 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. Judas beget Perez and Zerah of Thamar, and Perez beget Esram, and Esram beget Amram, and Amram beget Abinadab, and Abinadab beget Nasson. Nasson beget Salmon, and Salmon beget Boaz of Rahab. Boaz beget Obed of Ruth, and Obed beget Jesse, and Jesse beget David the king, and David the king beget Solomon. You still with me okay? You following along All right. Don't worry, I'm not going to read all those names and go through all of Matthew 1. There are two more portions of genealogies that I'm going to bypass for now, but uh, turn your attention to verses 11 and 12. And Josias beget Jeconias, his brethren, about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begets Sathaliel, and then it continues on and on. Uh, one, one translation refers to this as the deportation of Babylon. And this talks about the carrying away to Babylon. It's interesting that that is part of the genealogy. In fact, the deportation of Babylon is mentioned three times in this chapter, verse 11 and 12, which we just read, and again in verse 17. Look there with me. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away unto Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away unto Babylon, unto Christ... Our 14 generations. It's interesting to me that the Holy Spirit of God divides this portion of genealogy into three separate sections. You've got Abraham to David, you've got David to deportation, and then you've got deportation to Jesus. And as you read that, you think, why not just use Josiah? Why not just use Jeconiah? Why not just use another name? We'll come back to that in just a moment, verse number 18 which is the Christmas story. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. His Mary mother was espoused to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth the son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, "Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth the son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel," which, being interpreted, is God with us. And Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus i'm in the process of pursuing a degree in clinical mental health counseling and so one of the things that we do with that is uh, a lot of the a lot of the coursework some of it is video and we're observing other therapists give counsel and therapy to clients And it's interesting to watch this because these are people who have their degree. A lot of them are um, licensed clinicians who have a lot of experience. They have a lot of training. They're supervising other people. And so this one particular video that they had us watch, this was a while back, um, was this therapist giving counsel to a client. And the client is sitting there. And what they wanted us to do as students was, I want you to observe this session and just write down anything that you thought was interesting. Uh, Just make some points. You can write down things that the counselor did well or did poorly. You can uh, notate things about the client that were interesting to you. And so I'm watching this this therapist and this client, and the client says, he starts talking about his relationship with his father. And as he's talking about his relationship with his father, he, he goes down this rabbit trail, and then he says, but that's another story. And then he moves on and starts talking about something else. Well, I heard it, but I didn't really notate it. A few more minutes into the interview, he's talking about his relationship with his wife. And he starts talking, he kind of gets into it, and and he says, yeah, yeah, but, but that's another story. Now, the second time he said it, I noticed it, and I wrote it down. I wrote down the words, that's another story. Later in the interview, as we're wrapping up this particular video, he's talking about his relationship with his kids. And he uses the same phrase again, but that's another story. And at that time, the therapist leaned in, and and she said to the client, she said to the guy, you know, you've used that term three times. And I'm thinking, yes, that's exactly what they wanted us to get from this. And she said, you've used that statement three times. He said, what statement? And she said, that's another story. You notice you've said that multiple times? And he said, "I, I guess I hadn't really noticed it. And she said, well, we're wrapping up this session. But as we begin our next session, that's where I want to delve into a little bit is those other stories in your life. When we think about the Christmas season and the holiday season, we go to passages like this, like Matthew 1, and we go to Luke 1 and Luke 2. I mean, those are hallmark Christmas passages. But there are so many other stories that are interwoven into the Christmas story. And when you think about it in your life, well, that's another story. We say that with things that we don't want to talk about. We say that when things get a little uncomfortable and we feel a little vulnerable and maybe even weakness is what we feel. And we we want to stray away from any feelings like that. But that's where the true story lies. There's always more to the story. Many times there's another story altogether. We think about the Christmas season and the holiday season and all that comes along with Christmas. No doubt, it brings up other stories in your life as well from past Christmases. As you reflect on all the Christmases that you've had in your past, uh, there are other stories at this season. Some of those memories are pleasant, and no doubt, some of those memories are painful. Some of those memories used to be pleasant, and now they're painful because of something that's happened in your life for someone that you've lost as a result of of the holiday season, but that's another story, isn't it? In Matthew 1, we see glimpses of other stories that precede the Christmas story, and today I'd like to speak to you on that topic. That's another story. There's four points to today's outline if you're taking notes. Number one, I want you to write down, it's a story of heritage. It's a story of heritage. There's a lot of heritage that Matthew gives us in the lineage of Jesus Christ We won't break down all of it today, but look again at verse 1, the book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham beget Isaac, Isaac beget Jacob, and Jacob beget Judas, his brethren. This is quite the heritage just right out of the gate. A couple of years ago, I had a free trial subscription to Ancestry.com. Have any of you ever been on Ancestry.com and you've done a little digging? Let me see your hands. Let me see who I'm talking to. Okay, several of you. Uh, They do 23andMe now. There's Ancestry.com. There's a lot of ways to find where you came from. Uh, But what I'm going to try to do today, I don't don't know that we've ever done this before. We went over it earlier today. Um, But what we're going to do is I'm going to try something where I I show a web page while we're actually on the screen today. Can you guys pull that up on the screen? This is my Ancestry.com page. We'll see if we can get it pulled up there. Okay. All right. I know that's small. I don't know if you can see it. I'm actually going to step down here so that I can see it as well. So this is, this is a little bit of my Ancestry.com page. So there's me, and then you see some of my grandparents. If you'd uh, zoom out just a little bit to where we can see, we're going to go up to the, the Schuler line. Can you zoom out and go to, um, let's see, let's go to Wilson Sr., Wilson Lindsey Sr., if we could go to that one. Just zoom uh, back to where you can get it down to size. There you go. And then top right corner, yeah, Lindsey, that's it. So this is this is the Schuler lineage. This is what I've been able to trace back. And if you actually let's go one more up to Adam Schuler, top right corner. All right. For those of you watching at home if this doesn't make any sense, I'm truly sorry. I've never done this before and so you can put the blame on me. Okay, if you would click on Christian Schuler's name. Okay, this is as far back as I can find my name. He was born in 1575 in Germany. The name Schuller is German. Uh, it could be pronounced Schuller. Uh, it actually means scholar, which I thought was really cool. But I, I did a little digging here on my, my family tree. Christian Schuler was born uh, in Germany just after the Reformation period, around 1500s. Um, and then you see his sons. And you look and there's a couple Adam Schulers. If you see, you can click out of Christian Schuler, and you can see a couple different Adam Schulers there. Um, a father and son who actually died the same year. Uh, when you trace down the third generation of Adam Schuler, so there's Adam Schuler Senior, Adam Schuler Junior, and then the third one is Adam Schuler, and there's no C. Did you, I don't know if you can see that there, but it, there's no C on his name. And what happened was, the story that I read was that Adam Schuler was the one who moved to America. And he he came to America, Uh, I think he landed, I think they spent some time in Pennsylvania area, and he dropped the C from his name. He's in a new country, he wants a new identity, so today, you spell my name, S H U L. -L E-R. That's it. We don't throw a C in there because Adam Schuler made a choice. I'm going to have a new identity. I'm going to have a new name when I come to America, a new country, and he dropped the C. So I don't spell my name with a C. Maybe you want to throw a C in there. Some people throw a Y in there, or they end it with an A-R, but it's S-H-U-L-E-R. And the reason it is is because Adam Schuler chose to do that. Okay, click out of the Schulers. Let's go down to, um, I want to go down to the jumper side and show you one more thing. Yeah, go to Enos A. Jumper Sr. All right. Um, and then go to Gasper Rucker. Yeah, if you could click and expand his name. Now, sometimes this happens is you get on a name, and, and it starts just going and going and going. I don't know if you can see this, but uh, through the Rucker side. Now, uh, go to Count Palatine. I didn't know Count Palatine very well, but a count uh, usually has a lot of genealogy. You go to Elizabeth Stewart. Uh, you see Mary, Queen of Scots, and then her son, James V., also known as King James, the King James. He's in my family history. How cool is that? I'm preaching from a translation today that he approved to be written. That is so cool. Um, I don't know if any of this is accurate or not. I think that it is, but I got, it was just a free trial. Maybe it sends everyone King James' direction. I don't know. Uh, but it was a lot, of cool, a lot of fun digging into my heritage and my lineage. And the truth is, you indulged me for a few minutes as I went over that, but the truth is every one of you have something like this whether you know it or not, you have a heritage, you have a lineage, you have people that came before you. Um, When we think about the heritage in our lives and the people that came before us, there are good memories there, but they may not all be good. Maybe there are bad memories in your heritage. People that came before you, family members that you had, and you remember the way that they treated you, remember the way that they made you feel you ever met someone who was a name dropper and just always dropped names like they met one famous person one time and they never let you forget it you're like yeah Jason you you just dropped King James in this service I remember I was here but you know people that that do that look at the names that Matthew drops of Jesus and his heritage Abraham and David to start you think about all the books that have been written about Abraham and all the books that have been written about David these are in the heritage, in the lineage of the Messiah. In Matthew chapter number one, verse two, David—he begins with the lineage of David, Abraham, and Isaac and Jacob. These are the patriarchs. When I think about Christmas, I think about my heritage too. I think about the people that came before me. I think about the people who are still alive today, and I think about those that aren't. I think about traditions. I like the presents and I like the things that we do, but for me, I like the traditions. I like the traditions of Christmas. I like the movies that we watch and the music that we listen to. and uh, People uh, that we hadn't seen in, in, in months would just come around for casseroles and food. It's crazy. We haven't seen these people. We don't know if they're, if they're still alive or if they're still part of our family, but here they come around Christmas. You always see people around Christmas that you haven't seen any other time of year. Uh, it's a magical time. Some families open presents on Christmas Day. I didn't learn this until I was older, but uh, some families open presents Christmas Eve. How many of you open presents Christmas Day? That is tradition at your place. Okay, most of you. All right, how many of you open Christmas Eve? Are there any like that? Okay, there's a few heretics that are here today. I'm kidding. Yeah, I see you. Uh, but that's what we do. We, we would go see grandparents. Uh, I remember one grandparent's house we would go to, and there was a fire that was built. And it was a very small fire, but it put out so much heat, and the house would just be so hot. Like, I was peeling off my sweater, and I was itchy. It was so uncomfortable and hot. Uh, one of the traditions we had at this house um, is we would eat together, and then before we would open presents... We would read the Christmas story, and that was, that was pretty traditional uh, for us as kids at my parents' house, grandparents, but at this particular grandmother's house, she had a tradition that I felt was a little extra. It was next level, and uh, what we did was we would eat, and then we would read the Christmas story, and then she would have us all sit as we listened to the Hallelujah Chorus. I don't know if this is part of your Christmas tradition. Probably not, I would imagine, but it was in mine, and can you imagine me as a kid? Like, we've eaten Like I'm done. We've we've read the Christmas story. This is what we do. Now I have to listen to the Hallelujah Chorus. It's not that long. I just listened to it this past week because I wanted to pull it up. To me, it felt like it was about 25 minutes long. This Hallelujah, I mean, I don't know how they remember the words. It's the same word the whole time. It's like 30 minutes. It felt like as a kid, I'm ready to open my presents. I have presents sitting in my lap. And I'm just sitting there, like, peeling a little bit off of one of them as we listen to, hallelujah, hallelujah. It's like, come on, let's go, I'm ready to do this. But there's a lot of traditions at Christmas. I think about the heritage of Christians that came before me. But I know Christmas may not have been that way for you. It's not that way for everyone. And maybe that's another story in your life. For better or for worse, your heritage can help explain some of the reasons behind how you operate in life today. You probably open presents on Christmas Day or on Christmas Eve because that was the tradition that was passed to you. The things that you do at Christmas, the, the stuff that you eat at Christmas, the, the traditions that you have were probably largely built around the heritage that you had. Some of it was inherited from your parents, grandparents. We see the beginnings of the heritage of Jesus in his earthly family tree. Number one, it's a story of heritage. But number two, it's a story of heartbreak. It's a story of heartbreak. For some of you here today, Christmas is the toughest time of the year. We can hear the songs, it's the most wonderful time of the year, but for a lot of you, Christmas is a really tough time. Uh, There are some of you here today, some of you probably watching online or watching later, and this will be the first Christmas that you have spent without someone that you love very much and you spent decades of Christmases with, and they're not with you this year. And I wish there was something I could say to make you feel better about that, but I I can't. And Christmas, it's a story of heritage, but it's a story of heartbreak. For some of you, Christmas is about guilt or grief or isolation or loneliness or loss. And you feel that in a deep, profound way because you shared 46 Christmases with somebody who you don't get to share Christmas with this year. Some of you have lost a spouse in the last couple of years. You've lost a sibling. You've lost a child. I wish I could say something that would help you process that loss because it's not fair. For many of you, I I can understand why Christmas would be so difficult. We'll celebrate Christmas this year without some family members that were around in Christmases that I remember very well. Even beyond the loss of a loved one, we've got some stuff in our past that reflect heartache and heartbreak. Some of you uh, have children or grandchildren that you've invited to spend Christmas with you, and they will likely spend it elsewhere. And that's kind of a heartbreak for you. There's a lot of reasons why Christmas can be a tough time of year for many of us. Some of the names listed in the genealogy uh, bring to mind other stories that were also a part of this story that have some heartbreak. Verse number two, it mentions Isaac and Jacob. Boy, what a great story that was. You think about Isaac being led up Mount Moriah with his dad. You think about uh, Rebekah and him being married. You think about the deception that took place between Jacob and Esau, their sons. I mean, you think about all the stories that could be told in just those words, Isaac and Jacob. Verse four references Judah and Tamar. Boy, that's another story. You read through Genesis 37 all the way to chapter 50. It's all about Joseph except one chapter that's about Judah and Tamar. Boy, that was a, a total mess. That's a whole nother story. Verse five mentions Rahab and Ruth. You think about their stories, the portrait of the lives that they lived and how God intervened in both of their lives, and now they are mentioned in the heritage and the lineage of the Messiah. That's another story altogether. Verse 6 talks about David, the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. Boy, that's another story. We could talk about that one, but here it is mixed in in the Christmas story. All of those stories we could go deeper on, but remember the point is this. All of them that were mentioned were a part of the lineage of Christ. They are a part of the Christmas story. Are you bothered by the baggage that your family has? There's no perfect families in here. People may project a sense of perfection with their family, but there's no perfect families in here. We've all got some baggage. We've all got some stuff we're not proud of. We've all got stuff, our kids and grandkids that we're not proud of, distant relatives. We've all got some baggage. But if you look at the Christmas story and you look at the lineage of Christ, there's some baggage there too. When I read through some of these names, it makes me not feel so bad about the stuff that I've been through, about the baggage that I'm carrying. Here's another story that I want to focus on. It's a story of heartbreak. Look again at verses 11 and 12. Josias begat Jeconias and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. Verse 12, and after they were brought to Babylon... Matthew gives us a systematic summary of the chronology of Jesus, and he breaks it up in three ways. It's Abraham to David, and then it's David to deportation, and it's deportation to Jesus. Each have 14 generations. It's neat and it's clean, and I read it and I think, why not mark it with Jeconias, Josiah? They were both there. You could, you could just pick one, and you can make it clean, and you could have all three names. Why was it important that we didn't mark this particular break? with a man's name, but rather we marked it with an event. Is it possible that God chose to mark it these three periods so that Israel would intentionally remember these three stories? You think about Abraham, this signified their origin, their beginning, where they came from, all that God had promised to his people, and God wants to remind them of this in Matthew 1. Then the second portion, David, this was symbolic of what their inheritance was supposed to be a king on the throne, you've got all the land that you could want, you're at rest with your enemies, and you have peace. This is what God wanted their inheritance to be. But deportation represented just how bad things can get when a nation forsakes and forgets their God. God specifically wanted to mark it with these three breaks, Abraham to David, David to deportation, and deportation to Jesus. It's a story of heritage, but it's a story of heartbreak. And there are people in this room today who feel that in a deep way. It's a story of heartbreak. When he says deportation, when he talks about them being carried away to Babylon, I feel like there are things in my life that are being ripped away from me, and I don't understand it, and I don't like it, and it's not fair. Look at verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon into Christ are 14 generations. Three different times in this chapter, in the lineage of the Messiah, God interjects with talking about his people that he loved and provided for and their inheritance and them being deported by the enemy. It's unbelievable. It's like he wants us to know that his heritage and those who came before him weren't perfect either, they weren't perfect. His ancestors weren't perfect. The heartbreak of the season was common to them, and so it will also be common to us. Right here nestled between the announcement of the Messiah and his regal heritage lies a story of heartbreak. It was almost like he knew, I'm prophesying the Messiah, and he's going to come, but it's not going to be easy. His Christmases are going to be tough too. Isaiah prophesied of him, he is despised and rejected of men. He said he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Isaiah 53 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was oppressed and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. Christmas wasn't always rainbows and roses, it wasn't sitting on Santa Claus's lap and opening presents and listening to the hallelujah chorus. Christmases were probably a drag. In the middle of the Christmas story, God wants you to know he gets you. He gets you. I don't, I don't get you. The people sitting on your row don't get you. Your family that you're going to see in the next week or so, you probably got some get-togethers this week and next. They're not, they're not all going to get you. They're going to wonder, hey, you went to church on Christmas Day? What are you doing? Going to church on Christmas Day? You went to a candlelight service? You, you plug in and you serve at your church? You're still a Christian? Have you seen all the stuff about Christians in the news? Have you seen where everything's going? You know how Christians are persecuted in other countries? You want to claim that? You want to be a part of this? There are people that don't get you. There are people that don't get you in so many other areas too. But this was God's way of saying, I'm coming down to you, but I, I get you. I understand what it is that you're sitting with. I understand what you go to bed at night thinking about. I understand the anxiety that you feel and the loneliness that you feel and the questions that you have. I get it because I've got some heartbreak in my story too. He allowed his people to be ripped from their king and their families and their promised land. He allowed all of it to go away in the deportation of Babylon. I don't get it. The people sitting with you don't get it. We don't always understand, but God is saying to us, I get it. I know what you're going through. I feel it too. He knows your heartbreak. It's a story of heritage, and it's a story of heartbreak. Number three, it's a story of humility. There's a lot of humility in the Christmas story. Jesus was not born in a popular place. He was not born to noteworthy parents. He did not come by extravagant means. You read through the Gospels of his life. His main two characteristics were he was gentle and lowly. None of us want to aspire to be gentle and lowly, but he did. He came by humble means. It was meekness and even perceived weakness of others. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when his, Mar- his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. I want to I break this down. Look again. Look at verse number 20. But while he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take Mary unto thee thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Wait, what? I mean, could you imagine reading this today? Can you just put yourself in the 2022 frame of mind of reading this, but it happening today? You help me break this down. Mary is espoused and betrothed to Joseph. The text is clear. It happened before they came together. I'm not going to do a biology lesson, but that doesn't happen before they come together. Uh, this is a crucial uh, part of our, our gospel because of the virgin birth. It, the biological implication is that this is not normal. I, I hope I'm not breaking any news to you today, but human beings can only be born one way. There are two components. The seed of a man And the egg of a woman. I hope this is not groundbreaking to any of us today. This is still a Christmas sermon. Every person who has ever been born has been born this way. There are only three exceptions. Adam was born of God. There was no man. There was no woman. He was born of God. Eve, she was taken from a man. There was no woman involved. And then Jesus, he was born of a woman. There was no man involved. That's the biological implication. But here's the doctrinal implication. This is the way that it must be. It's important doctrinally because our sin nature that all of us are born with is transferred to us through the Father's seed. That's how it works. Uh, Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So you are a sinner because you were born into sin, and you can thank your dad for that. That's how it was passed down to all of us. We're sinners because we inherited sin and then also because we choose sin. Jesus, though, was born of a woman and the Holy Spirit, not the seed of a man, which means there was no inherited sin in him, nor did he choose sin. It's the doctrine of the virgin birth. It's the hallmark fundamental of our faith itself. That is the doctrinal implication. But here there's a customary implication. The custom in this day is that betrothal or engagement was the equivalent to marriage it was the same thing they just weren't living together that's the only difference Uh, they didn't live together there was commitment and there was a covenant it had happened but there was no cohabitation they weren't living together but they were just as much married in every other sense they were even called husband and wife at the end of the engagement and betrothal period the marriage consummated and then it was complete the contract was complete According to Deuteronomy 22, if a betrothed woman became pregnant, it was considered adultery and it was punishable by divorce at the least and death at the worst. That was the punishment for a betrothed woman who was technically married to be with child before they came together. So customarily, this looked really bad for them. Here's the practical application. Joseph was probably not thinking about Bible doctrine and the virgin birth of Christ when Mary tells him, I am with child. As he hears that, he knows his life has been turned upside down. Well, I, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't know what, how to take this news, Mary. Uh, you're pregnant. Um, I know that it's not mine because we've not come together. So it's someone's and you're telling me that the baby in your womb is God. That the Holy Ghost is responsible for the fact that you will be bringing the Messiah into the world. It says in verse 19, uh, he was unwilling to put her to shame. He wasn't going to humiliate Mary. He wasn't going to embarrass her, but he didn't want this. It was not in his plans. Uh, You think about Joseph. This was humbling to say the least. Can you see Joseph? He's a forward thinker. He doesn't do anything without plans. By trade, Joseph is a carpenter you think about a carpenter, he's measuring three and four times before he cuts anything. This is who Joseph was. He, he has a very calculated life, and there's a lot about his life that is now not in the plans. I asked for a blueprint, and Wayne gave me this, and I, I want to show this to you. This is the one of the blueprints for this room that we're in today. You see the gym and you see everything here. I don't really know how to read this. I did not go to school for something like this. I didn't go to trade school to understand how to read this. But this is, this is the blueprint for the room that we're sitting in right here. And Joseph would have been very familiar with a blueprint. Something like this. And as I, I can just imagine as he, as he hears this news from Mary, he, he pulls something like this out and says, Mary, this is, this is not in here. This is not in the blueprint. I had a plan for what we were going to do with our lives, and I'm looking. I don't see virgin conception anywhere. I don't see born of the Holy Spirit anywhere. This is not in my plan, Mary. You know I'm a plan guy. I walk around with notebooks. I measure four and five times before I cut anything. I don't do anything that's not meticulously calculated, Mary. This is not in my plan. How many times do we do this to God? Hey, hey, God, I know what you said, but but it is it's not in my plan. You you see I've I've got life goals. I got 3-year goals. I got 5-year goals. I'm looking at the goals that I that I had for 22 and I haven't reached. I'm still working on goals that I made back in 2020 and those didn't go anywhere either. I I got goals, I got plans. I got a 10-year plan. Some of you think about the way that your kids are living their lives and you think god this is not in my plan. I I didn't count on this. I I would have never thought they would decide to do this when they were five years old, when they were 10 years old. Some of you have got grandkids, and you can't believe the way that they're living, and you say, God, this is not in my plan. You you think about the plans that Joseph had for his life with his wife, Mary. He didn't plan on raising a son that wasn't his. That doesn't factor into the plan. He's got his whole life mapped out with Mary, and life doesn't go according to plan. And that's our lives. Nobody in this room had a plan like this, and you look back over the last 30, 40, or 50 years and you think to yourself, yep, everything's happened exactly the way that I drew it up. It doesn't happen that way. Joseph has to be thinking this pregnancy is not in the blueprint, this baby is not in the blueprint. Uh, this, this census that we're having in Bethlehem, this is not in the blueprint. I haven't booked a hotel room. I don't have any plan itinerary. I gotta get on Priceline and get this thing done. It's, it's not in the blueprint. We want our lives this way. Oh yeah, there it is. Yep, what is, what is the day, the 18th? Oh yeah, yep, right on schedule. This is where I, is where I wanna be today. This is how we wanna live our lives. And God, God says, you, you, don't, you don't get to live your life this way there there is no there's no blueprint for this he takes our plans and he he shreds them up and he says i've got a plan for you you're not going to understand it today it may be years before you ever understand what i'm doing with your life but i want you to know i've got a plan i've got a blueprint and it's it's better than yours we want to live our lives this way i'm talking to people today whose lives have gone off script Oh, we're so far off the script, we can't even find our script anymore. I don't even remember what I had planned out. There's no blueprint. I know of two families today, these are local in our area, who are about to enjoy Christmas with their loved one for what will probably be the last time. Probably the last time. Both families this past year have gotten a diagnosis that is incurable and inoperable, and they've got about six to eight months. Six to eight months is tough. And knowing that you're going to celebrate Christmas with someone this year, and by this time next year, pending a miracle doesn't take place, it'll be your last Christmas with them. Well, that's tough. I made that statement to somebody in the last week, and they said, you know, I bet you so-and-so would have loved to have six or eight months because their loved one was ripped away just like that. They would have loved a diagnosis of six to eight months. Jason, why do you say that? Because life doesn't work out according to the way that you draw it up. It doesn't happen that way. We're we're not in our own plans. We're off script. We're off blueprint. Look at verse number 20. The angel said, her conception is of the Holy Spirit. Again, what? Seriously? Seriously? You're telling me that my wife is pregnant. I know it's not mine, but you're claiming that the baby is of God and actually is God. You want me and my wife to parent the Messiah, who our people have been searching for, for hundreds of prophecies over the course of thousands of years. Talk about a story of humility. This was not in Joseph's plan. But God wasn't going off Joseph's blueprint. He had a plan of his own. God said to his nation in Jeremiah 29, as they're in captivity, he said, I know the plans that I have for you. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. That brings us to our final point today. It's a story of heritage, and it's a story of heartbreak, and it's a story of humility. And if we stop there, it would be a pretty bleak story. But it doesn't. Because there's another story. Number four, if you're taking notes, it's a story of hope. Oh, it's a story of hope. And I'm telling you, the hope is so good, it outshadows the humility and the heritage and the heartbreak. It's better than any hope or any news that you've ever heard in your life. You see, what God said to his people in Jeremiah 29, I know the plans that I have for you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. The hope that God was offering there was to his nation of Israel as they're in captivity. But the hope that he offers in Matthew 1 is because of his people who are living in sin and he offers them the hope of salvation, the hope of all mankind. Look at verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. Now, all this was done that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken to the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. As we close today, Jesus offers us hope in two ways. Number one, verse 21, he says, He shall save his people from their sins. He offers us the hope of provision the hope of provision. I am offering you salvation. I came for one purpose, to seek and to save that which was lost. I came to bring you salvation. This is the provision that you've been waiting for for hundreds of years and hundreds of prophecies. This is what I want to do. I want to save your people from their sins. That's what Jesus offers to us. He gives us provision. Paul said, when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die. Peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came to be born and he came to live, but ultimately he came to die to be your hope of salvation, to be your provision." Couple weeks ago, on November 26, you may have seen this in the news. But there was a story in New York City of a man who suffered a medical emergency in New York City. He was in the subway on the platform when he suffered the medical emergency, and as a result of the emergency, he actually fell onto the subway tracks. And because of his injury, I don't know what the injury was, but he was stuck on the tracks there in New York City. Um, I actually have the body cam footage which you can watch on youtube do we have that clip guys if you could go ahead and play it at this time there's no sound in the beginning but then the sound turns on here in a moment this is officer victor going through an emergency exit he's run up a flight of stairs now down a flight of stairs this is the body cam footage that he's wearing and there's the man stuck on the tracks by the time that he gets there um He and another cop, there's a a bystander that's also trying to help this man here. They're trying to help pry him off the tracks. He's off the platform now. One, two, three, four. Five, six, seven, eight seconds till the train comes. It's unbelievable. Now, I told you they were gonna, he was going to save the guy. And even though I told you, and even though you know I wouldn't show a clip if it ended badly like that, even though you knew where this was going to go, it was still intense when he got off that platform. He gets back onto the platform, and you see that train coming less than 10 seconds later. It was intense. After the incident, the man received medical attention. The officers were interviewed, a report was filed, and then for the most part, life went back to normal. Those two police officers in the NYPD and the bystander, those three men are heroes. Their incredible bravery was on full display uh, in the face of danger because you see the train coming. Uh, Officer Victor was interviewed after this. He absolutely saved a life that day. But do you know what Officer Victor didn't do? Do you want to know what he didn't do? He didn't follow the ambulance as it took the man to the hospital. He didn't sit in the man's hospital room until he became conscious again. He didn't order him hospital food and feed him food and wait until he was discharged. He didn't drive him home after he was discharged and sit with him in his house and feed him chicken noodle soup and become his personal caretaker and nurse him back to health and quit his job at the NYPD. He didn't do any of those things. Do you know why? Well, for one, because it would have been creepy for him to have done all those things. That would have been a little weird. For Officer Victor and the man that he saved, the story ends there. It's the end of the story for these two guys. But it's the beginning of the story for me. And it's the beginning of the story for you. Because there was a time when I was on those train tracks. Not literally, but spiritually. I'm down there on the tracks, and I can do nothing to save myself. (laughs) I'm completely stuck. I am paralyzed. I am dead in my trespasses and sins. And if it is not for someone reaching down to where I am and lifting me up and saving me, it was destruction for me. And I'm sure you remember a time when it was like that for you. You see, what those men provided that man that day is they provided him provision in that they saved his life. But what Jesus does is he goes a step further. He offers you provision, but then the last point, and I'm finished. He offers us his presence. He says, it's not enough that I've saved you. I want to hang out with you. I want to be with you. I want to have a relationship with you. Look at what he says. He says in verse 23, and his name will be Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. I I don't want to just save you. I want to keep you. I want to be with you. I want to have a relationship with you. It is not God's desire to save you simply for the sake of saving you. Let me say that again, because I don't want you to misunderstand. It is not God's desire to save you simply for the sake of you being saved. It's not what he wants. People ask me, how do I know if I'm saved? And maybe a better question would be, do you have a relationship with Jesus? He doesn't want to save you and then never hear from you again. He wants to have a relationship with you. He doesn't just want to add you to the team and have you sitting at the end of the bench. He wants to put you in the game. He wants you to play. Let's go. My daughter, Sophia, is two and a half years old. And my favorite thing every day is when I come home from work and she's awake from her nap and she's just kind of hanging out in the kitchen area. And every time I open the door, she says the same two words, Daddy home. Man, I love that. Daddy home. I don't think she has a very good concept of time because sometimes I'll be gone all day and I'll walk in the door and she'll say, Daddy here. Daddy here. And then sometimes I'll go take out the trash and come back inside, and she'll say, Daddy, here. And I'm like, I've been with you all day. What are you talking about? I'm I'm always always here. But what God wants you to know is, Daddy, here. I've offered you my salvation and my provision, but I want to go a step further. I'm offering you my presence. This Christmas, I I don't want to just save you from your relatives and save you from your sin and save you from holiday chaos. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to settle down and and abide with you together. The redemptive power of Jesus has the ability to change your life. But that's another story. Today in Matthew 1, I've shared their stories. I've shared some of my story. And ultimately, I've shared his story. But my question today as we close is, what's your story? Do you have a relationship with God? Are you banking on the fact that maybe he saved you that one time? Or do you feel his presence? The redemptive power of Christ has the ability to change your life. But is that your story? Let's pray this morning. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, we're going to have an invitation here in a moment. The altar will be open. There's some of you here today that have another story. Perhaps yours is a story of heartbreak. Or you've got a story of humility if you're under the sound of my voice, whether you're here in person, watching online, watching later, if you are breathing, you have the power to change your story into a story of hope. That's not anything that I can do. It's what he does and what he offers to you. Jesus offers you the hope of eternal life, and today you have the opportunity to rewrite your story. Some of you today don't, don't like the way that your story's turned out. You don't like the things that have happened in your story that are within your control and you don't like the things that are beyond your control. But today God gives you the opportunity to rewrite your story. Some of you today are still on the train tracks of life. Today could be the day that you accept his provision and invite his presence into your life. By believing in Jesus and his payment on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, he offers you the hope of salvation and eternal life. If there's someone here today that does not have a relationship with Jesus, you can pray to him by faith and say, God, I'm a sinner. I know that I need salvation for my sins. And if you believe on him to save you, he will. It's possible that the most exciting part of your story has yet to be written, and that ought to offer you some hope today. Is there another story that God wants to write with your life? Father, I pray that you'd be with these closing moments of this service. God, if there is one here under the sound of my voice that does not have a personal relationship with you, I pray that conviction on their heart would be so strong until they make things right. God, I pray that you would offer all of us hope during this time of the year. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me, if you will, all over the room. The altar's open. We'll sing a verse or two. And you're welcome to come today.